when Pastor Rob goes on vacation, and we're, I'm not preaching in the evening, it uh, remains for me to find something to preach on that is not in the usual schedule. And so I uh, resorted to uh, looking through some of my old sermons that I preached on the book of Ruth and uh, found that I preached on that in 1987. Anybody here remember 1987? Uh, Also in 2014 here. Um, But... uh, I'd like to have us turn together to the book of Ruth, chapter 1. And just to kind of set the historical time so we can have uh, an idea of where we are in the Bible. Um, So what takes place in the book of Ruth takes place, we're told, in in the period of the Judges, which is, it's after Abraham, it's after Isaac, it's after Jacob. After Moses, after Joshua, it's during the period of the judges when the people of Israel are in the land. They're settled in the land. But uh, it is before Saul and before David. And it's a, a, the book of Ruth is a, a short story, and it's considered to be sort of an appendix to the book of Judges and a prefix to the books of 1st and 2nd Samuel that tells the story of God's grace in the life of two women. I think it's interesting also just to take note of the fact that here in this story we are told the lives of about the lives of two women that God used mightily in Israel and uh, how he prepared for one who, one of them who was from the country of Moab, a non-Israelite, to be taken up into the story of King David. And it's a reminder to each of us that we are all uh, those who have been taken from the world out of darkness, those of us who know Jesus Christ and love him, we've been taken out of the world and out of darkness, and we've been transferred into Christ's kingdom. We're going to see that Ruth transfers from Moab to Israel. And uh, we're going to see the wonderful way in which um, God works in the life of Ruth and her mother-in-law, Naomi, though not without great pain and suffering. We'll see that as well. Let's, uh, let's begin uh, uh, with prayer. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, as we read your word, and as we consider this first chapter in this wonderful account, grant, O oh Lord, that we might have understanding, that your spirit would grant grace, both to the one who speaks and to those who hear, that we might receive it and hear that which you have for us. We ask your Spirit's blessing, power upon your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Ruth chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, and we'll read the chapter as a whole. 
In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. The men of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. And they were Ephraimites from Bethlehem in Judah. And they went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These two, these took Moabite wives, and the name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth, and they lived there about ten years. And both Malon and Kilian died, and so the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. And the Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb, that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? And would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. And then they lifted up their voices, and they wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. And may the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, no more. And so the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. 
And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman said, Is this Naomi? And she said to them, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. And so Naomi returned, and Ruth, the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. So ends the reading of God's word. This chapter tells the story of the wanderings of this family of Elimelech, his wife Naomi, and their two sons. And the main idea that I'd like for us to take from this uh, chapter is this. In God's marvelous grace, he overrides our story and places us in his. In God's marvelous grace, he takes us out of our story, and he places us in his. For all those who belong to him, who are his covenant people, he sends his spirit in their heart, and he gives them faith, and he unites them to the Lord Jesus Christ, And they are taken up into the story of Israel. They are taken up into Christ. They are taken from suffering into the glory of Christ and the pleasures of a new heaven and a new earth that we have been listening to and having described for us on Sunday mornings for several weeks. What a marvelous thing that God should see fit not only to make us in his image so that we might have fellowship with him, but that God should so unite us to himself in Christ Jesus our Lord that he would take us out of Adam and unite us to Christ and in so doing give us glory in Christ and he he prepares us for the experience of a new world and new joys altogether. What a wonderful thing to be included in that story. We are going to look at this first chapter under five headings, and I figured the best way for me to go do this is not to announce those five headings ahead of time, but to try to repeat them as I hit them, so you can take note that we are in that place. But I'd like for us to first look at Naomi's sojourn into Moab. Naomi's sojourn into Moab. And we see this in verses 1 through 5. In verses 1 through 5, we are told of Naomi's sojourn into Moab. And you will remember Moab 
the, the Moabites are the descendants of Lot. So they are related to Abraham, and they are not by nature uh, enemies of Israel, and yet they treated Israel terribly. And so, uh, but nevertheless, there were connections between Israelites and Moabites. And so Elimelech takes his wife, Naomi, and his, their two sons, and they traveled during a time of famine in the days when the judges ruled. And they sojourned in the fields of Moab because there was a famine, verse 1. Verse 2 tells us the names of the members of the family, Elimelech, Naomi, Malon, and Achillion. And their, name, and their home is mentioned again, uh, that they are Ephratites. They are from the town of Bethlehem, associated with King David, of course, and Bethlehem is in the southern kingdom of Judah, or is in Judah. Verse 2b repeats the fact that they uh, went to Moab and lived there or remained there for some time. And I, I think it's good for us to notice, and, and this is the case in biblical narrative, when things are repeated, notice when things are repeated, because it's usually something that the author is trying to underline in our minds. And it keeps, uh, there is a repetition three times, as we'll see, of the fact that they remained in Moab. We might ask, is Elimelech to be blamed for taking his family to Moab in a time of famine? It is during a time when the people of Israel were settled in the promised land. You remember that at different times the patriarchs would travel to uh, various places, Abraham, uh, to Egypt. Uh, and so it is not necessarily wrong to go to another country. But it is noticeable that this is a time when the people of God have been given their inheritance. And Elimelech leaves his inheritance. And he leaves the Jerusalem, the temple, and all that... Uh, uh, all the worship of God that would be uh, going on, the tabernacle at the tabernacle and the worship of God that would be going on there. Matthew Henry makes this comment concerning the question as to the blameworthiness of this journey. He says, I quote, If he had had that zeal for God and his worship and that affection for his brethren, which became an Israelite, he would not have persuaded himself so easily to sojourn among the Moabites, end of quote. I can't help but think that God in his uh, wisdom included the story of this man, Elimelech, and his family in, in the account of the unfolding of the line of David. And who is Elimelech? And what is his family? They are insignificant, unimportant people. Matthew Henry again says of the book of Ruth as a whole, he says, I quote, It relates not miracles or laws. The book of Ruth does not tell us about wars or victories, but it is the short history of the domestic affairs of a particular family, end of quote. And it strikes me, that God gives ordinary significance, eternal significance. 
ordinary uh, people et eternal significance. And it is a purpose of God in, this plan, in, in the book of Ruth to highlight these ordinary people going about their ordinary lives and to help us to see that God's providence is very much at work in our ordinary lives. That God is at work in the story of your life and your family's life and your children and the decisions that you make, where you go and where you live, that God in his providence has ordained these things. And he has ordained them for his glory and for your good. We sometimes wonder, who am I to God? Does he take notice of me? And the story of Elimelech and Ruth and Naomi, her sons, reminds us that God is intimately involved in the lives of each and every one of his children. He knows, and your life your life, seen from God's perspective, you may not realize it, but it has eternal significance. The decisions that you make as to where you will be on the Lord's day, the decisions that you make as to how you will educate your children, the things that you go to and the places that you uh, go, all of these things, as you seek to be faithful to God's revelation in his word, these things God raises to eternal significance. Returning to chapter 1, verse 3 tells us, however, that Naomi begins to experience bereavement and sorrow. Her husband, Elimelech, died. Now, we're not told anything about the circumstances of his death, just that he died. She is left a widow. Ah, but she has her two sons. Verse 4 tells us that her two sons found wives who were Moabite women, and they began their homes. So Ruth, bereft of her husband, would no doubt find comfort in the homes of her two sons. But then we are told that as they settled there, in verse 4, it mentions that they settled in Moab. And it would seem that uh, Naomi, uh, being there with her two sons, now married to Moabite women, and I can speak from experience, uh, where your wives lived, live, does have a strong influence on where husbands live. And Naomi could be expected to live in Moab for the rest of her life. Verse 5 tells us, however, another sudden uh, bereavement. Naomi experienced the death of her two sons, Malon and Kilion. It is hard to imagine what it must have been like for Naomi to experience such grief in spades, to have lost her own husband, and now to have lost her two grown sons. 
And for her to be left alone in the country of Moab leaves her in a precarious position. The question is naturally raised, is this God's punishment upon Naomi or upon Elimelech for traveling to Moab, that God put them to death? The text doesn't tell us that, and it is not necessary to connect every tragedy that occurs with someone's sin. And yet, as we read this, it is hard not to think that this is at least the Lord's discipline in this family. That the Lord is putting Naomi in a crucible of pain. And these events seem to be ordered to bring about Naomi's emptiness. A word that she uses at the end of the chapter, the Lord sent me out full, and he has brought me back empty. He has brought Naomi to emptiness. But why? It is, it is true that God deals with each of his children in a distinct and different way. Just as there are no, no two things that he has made that are exactly alike. So there, for each of us, every life is unique and sacred and known to him. There's no two persons that are alike. And God, God has ordained a path for each one of his children. This path. For Naomi was that she would experience through all of this sorrow great emptiness. The Lord disciplines those whom he loves and he chastises every son he receives. And I would like to just take a moment to say I don't need I probably don't need to say this to those of you who may be my age. But if you're younger, maybe college age, young adult, you've been protected in some ways and cared for by your parents who have taken the blows of life in some ways for you. Parenthood is that. That's what it is. It's a life of sacrifice for your children. When you go up and you get out on your own, you will find that you will experience some affliction. You will experience things that are difficult, trials. You should not be surprised by those things. You shouldn't think that somehow God is against you. And that you are rejected by him because you're experiencing something that is painful. The very fact that we're reading about the story of this woman of God who has gone through this. And we're going to see in a little bit how the Lord uses this for her good and for his glory. This is the case for each of you as well. The hard things that you go through. The painful things that you go through. 
are unique to you. But they have the purpose of making you dependent upon God and his word and his promises to you. They will take your eyes off of every source of human help and they will make you and draw you to the Lord Jesus Christ in your emptiness, in your helplessness. You will cry out to God. That's normal. It is a normal path for every one of God's chosen people. The Lord disciplines those whom he loves and chastises every son that he receives. Secondly, I want us to notice Naomi's return to Judah in verses 6 and 7. Naomi's return to Judah in verses 6 and 7. Verse 6 tells us that Naomi arose. It says in the ESV, then she arose. But in the Hebrew, the word arose is first in that sentence. And it gives it prominence. And Naomi here is doing something new. She is rising. She is returning. She is returning to her home, to Bethlehem. And the reason that she's doing so is given. She had heard while she was in the fields, and it's interesting that the word fields and the word country... It's all the same word. Sometimes it's translated the country of Moab. Sometimes it's called uh, the the translated fields. And it had made me think as I was thinking about this that Naomi probably was in the fields. And she probably heard from the people that she was working with. You know, God has blessed his people. He has visited his people and it This word visited is interesting. You often come across it in the Bible that the Lord visits someone. Well, what does it mean for God to visit? It means to go to someone to show care and concern, to look after them. As a shepherd would do for his sheep, he would inspect and count and number and see what the needs of each and every one of the sheep are. And so the Lord visited his people in Naomi in Moab, far away. Here's of God's blessing upon the people of Bethlehem. Naomi having no husband. Naomi having no sons. It's that God is caring and providing for the people of her home. The thought of being of one of the Lord's sheep, the thought of belonging to him and being one of the sheep of his pasture, whom the Lord loves and protects and provides for, this thought would be one that would grab Naomi, and she would have longing to be back with the flock of the Lord. She arose to return to Judah, and she set out on the way with her daughters-in-law. Verse 7 repeats, that she set out with her two daughters-in-law. And it places Naomi and her two daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth, on the way, on the road. They're traveling. They're probably carrying 
whatever it was that was their belonging, whether it was on some kind of buggy or whatever, they're traveling, they're on their way back. And that sets the stage for a conversation that will now take place between Naomi and her two daughters-in-law. And this is the third of the major points, Naomi's controversy. Naomi's controversy. What a comfort it must have been for Naomi, her sons having passed, and what a reflection on their relationship. Uh, Mothers-in-law and daughters-in-law don't always get along. I don't know if you ever heard that. But Naomi and these two do. And uh, they appear to be strongly uh, bound together by affection. So they're returning together. And as they're going, uh, Naomi uh, says to her daughter-in-law in verse 8, Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to your mother, her mother's house. Go, return to the homes from which you came. Why would Naomi do that? Not only does she tell them to go, but she says, Go with my blessing. Go with my blessing. And she prays that the Lord would reward their kindness. And the word for kindness there is the word kesed. It is the word for the loving kindness of God to his people. It is a prayer of hers that God would reward them with the same kindness that they have shown to her. And it makes me wonder the way that she speaks to them if she had not shared with them about the God of Israel, who he was and his mighty deeds, and what he had done. And she goes on not only to call down a blessing upon them, but she says, may the Lord give you rest in the homes of your husbands. And the word rest is important there because it, it, it points to the fact that what Naomi wants most for them is they would be married and that they would have children and that they would have a home. The word rest denotes tranquility and the condition of the enjoyment of happiness. And Naomi can't help but want that for her two daughters-in-law, that they would have a home and a family and husbands and children, and that they would enjoy rest. The word rest is also used in Psalm 23. In Psalm 23, we're told of still waters, He leads them beside still waters. It's that same word, waters that are at rest. To be in a home, to have children, to have happy. Well, to to have happiness. And and, and those of you with young children know that it's not happiness all the time. But she's talking about a condition of being in a family, of being in a home. Well, the result of her Calling them to leave is that they cry, they weep, they call, they call out in loud voices and they say, no, 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 Naomi, we're going ahead, we're going with you. So Naomi persists in verses 11 through 14, having failed in her first attempt, she repeats herself and she says, 
Turn back, my daughters. Turn back, my daughters. And then Naomi gets to the heart of the matter as to why she wants them to turn back. While wanting them to have rest and to have homes and husbands and children, she compares her own life's history. And she's had anything but rest. Not only that, but her husband has been taken away. And her sons have been taken away. And she interprets that as the hand of God upon, against her. And she says, if you stay with me, what are you going to experience? In Israel, the law of uh, the Leverite marriage would apply. In Deuteronomy 25, 5 through 10, we're told about that, that the brother of a deceased son would marry his widow and would provide his brother with an heir. And would, would they do that? Would they refrain from marrying while Naomi marries again if God should allow it and bear sons and wait for them to grow up and then marry them? By that time, they would be past the age of childbearing. And Naomi says, this is an impossible situation. She's presenting Orpah and Ruth with the facts as she sees them. They will never find rest. They will never have families. They will never experience the joy of being in the midst of children while they remain with her. And so they must return, and they must start their families over in Moab. In verse 13, Naomi mentions her own pain and she, that she carries for them. She says, it is bitter. It is bitter. It is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the Lord's hand has gone out against me. And with these words, Naomi reveals her own bitterness. She feels that, uh, she, she reveals here her own interpretation of her sufferings, that God's hand has gone out against her, that the Lord has blotted out her family. He's wiped out her husband. He's wiped out her sons. She will not have an heir. And the purpose of Leverite marriage was to prevent this from happening, and Naomi sees that this is not a possibility if her two daughters-in-law return with her. Her husband's and her son's lineage is being expunged. Think of it. Think of it. It gives me joy to know that I have children who will carry on my family, as I'm sure it does for many of you. For her, for Naomi, nothing is being stopped. It's being stopped. And she sees God as the one who has done this. Is there any hope for a widow? Should I say that I have hope? And that is the question that is ringing from her agonized heart. Is it possible in, for me in this situation to have hope? Don't we find ourselves in situations like that from time to time? The wonderful thing is that we who know the story of Naomi and Ruth, we can read ahead. <laughs> we know that what she is describing in her interpretation of this is not complete. We who know the story are privileged to see what Naomi does not see, that God is doing something that is more wonderful than she can imagine. And yet, 
process for her involves great pain and suffering. We do not know what God is doing in our lives. We have limitations to our knowledge, don't we? And therefore, it seems that the correlation of that is that we have limitations to our hope. We will often, from time to time, we will experience a feeling of hopelessness. And that is because we do not know what God is doing. So we wait. The call for us in those circumstances is to wait and humbly wait and submit to the Lord's providence. Verse 14 tells us the result of this attempt of Naomi. And this time, there is a difference between Orpah and Ruth. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law. The text doesn't say that she left. But she kissed her mother-in-law, and she's gone. We're not told that she left. Because the author wants us to see the difference between Orpah's kiss and Ruth's clinging. We're told that Ruth clung to Naomi. She clung to Naomi, and that word is important. It is the first indication of a distinction and a difference between Orpah and Ruth. The Lord has given Ruth something more than a loving attachment to Naomi. He has given Ruth a strong and loving attachment to himself, an attachment that is stronger than death. The word cling means to be glued together. It is a loving attachment to someone that is stronger than death. It is used for Adam's love for Eve. We're told that Eve being taken out of man, Adam said, Adam left his father and mother and held fast to his wife, and they became one flesh. That's the same word. It is used of the love that God desires and seeks from his people. When he says in Deuteronomy 11, if you will be careful to do all this command that I command you to do, loving the Lord your God and walking in all his ways and holding fast to him. Ruth herself has gone through a great deal of painful suffering. And Shadeen tells us that Naomi began again with Ruth. Okay, Orpah's gone. And she says to Ruth, this time, drawing Ruth's attention to what her sister-in-law has done. And she says, now, Ruth, you do the same thing. Look what your sister-in-law Orpah has done. She has gone back to her people and to her gods. Now, Ruth, you go too. And that would be an open door for Ruth. I mean, if Orba can do it, I can do it. If someone else does something, that's kind of like gives validation, right? So-and-so's doing it. That's okay. That means it's okay for me as well. That's the argument that Naomi uses with Ruth. Look at Orpah. Now you go and do what Orpah has done. And this calls forth from Ruth an answer. This calls from Ruth an answer. And for once, Naomi is not in the driver's seat in this conversation any longer because Ruth commands Naomi 
to stop. Naomi says to Ruth, go. Ruth says to Naomi, stop. Do not urge me to leave you or follow, return from following you. Stop where you are say, what you are saying and say it no more. We read it at the end of verse 18 that when Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said no more. That is, Naomi said no more. And the word determined in Hebrew means to be firm, strong, fixed in mind, immovable. Ruth is expressing her immovable determination that she will stay with Ruth. And it is helpful to keep that word cling in your mind because it means to be glued together as Ruth gives her confession of faith. And her confession of faith is emphatic. There are very few words, but the fewness of the words reveals their power and their strength. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. And may the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. Ruth's determined confession of faith. They, they, they convey an unbreakable union ultimately between Ruth and Naomi's God. This is one of the most remarkable and beautiful expressions of love in all the Bible. These words ring out in human history. They are some of the most remarkable expressions of love in the Bible. They are a remarkable expression of faith. And the Hebrew is even briefer and more powerful. Where you go, I go. Where you lodge, I lodge. Your people, my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I die. There I will be buried. In the English, you kind of have to string it together and add words. But in the Hebrew, it's a powerful statement. She calls down upon herself even a curse. May the Lord do so to me. Do what? May the Lord do so to me. Do what? Put me to death. May the Lord put me to death. May the Lord do so to me and more also. What? What more also? Suffering beyond death? If anything, anything at all separates, anything but death separates me from you, what did this mean for Ruth? Well, it meant that she was completely identified with Naomi and with Naomi's God, and she left her own family in Moab. She had the opportunity to return to that which was familiar, to that which she knew, to the love of her own father, to the love of her own mother and her siblings. And she chose instead to identify with the God of Israel and to go into a life that would be unknown to her and involve great pain and suffering as a foreigner in Israel. Can there be a more beautiful holding forth of redeemed womanhood? 
Can there be a more beautiful picture of a woman of faith and a woman of strength and a woman of courage and a woman of trust in God? She embodied that beauty that the Lord creates first in the heart and then comes out in appearance in a life. It is that which Peter called an imperishable beauty. You possess that. As you read this book, you cannot help but see what others saw, what, what Boaz later would see in Ruth. This tremendous strength, this tremendous courage and faith in God and a willingness to sacrifice for the sake of her mother-in-law. This brings us, fifthly, to Ruth and Naomi's arrival in Bethlehem, verses 19 through 22. Ruth and Naomi's arrival in Bethlehem, verses 19 through 22. Verse 19 tells us that Ruth and Naomi went then on their way. They went to Bethlehem. And when they had arrived, they caused quite a stir because they had been gone long enough, at least 10 years. So Naomi looked different. They said, is this Naomi? She had wrinkles in her face. She had gray hair. Not only did that physical characteristic, was it noticeable, but she was in pain and suffering. And her visage changed. It changed what they saw. They could not recognize her. Verse 20 tells us that Naomi expresses her own bitterness by demanding that her acquaintances not call her Naomi any longer, but Mara, and the word Mara means bitter, and she said, the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. Verse 21, I went away full, and the Lord brought me back empty. The Lord has brought, the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. And so she returned with Ruth the Moabite her daughter-in-law with her, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. And Naomi's bitterness is the main point of the end of chapter 1. It is a result of her pain. It is a result of her grief and her loss. She's feeling that she is empty of all blessing. Her sorrow and her bitterness has kept her from all hope. She's emotionally closed in. She can see no good ending to her story. There are times in people's lives when things happen to them, when that is the case. They look at what has occurred, and they look at the future. And they say, there is no good ending to this story. She foresees the extinction of her family line. Her husband, gone. Her two sons, gone. For now, she, for now she cannot see 
what we see. We see that God has removed all that she held dear and brought her back to Bethlehem so that, she, that God may fill her lap with the blessing of a child. So I have to take you to the end of the book of Ruth, to chapter 4, verses 14 and following. I've got to tell you the end of the story. I invite you to read it for yourself. It's only four chapters long. It's a very short story. It is the most beautiful thing. Chapter 4 of Ruth, verse 14. And when the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a Redeemer. May his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life, a nourisher of your old age, for that daughter-in-law who loves you is more to you than seven sons, given birth, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child, she laid him in her lap, and became his nurse. And the woman of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Wisdom of humbly submitting when we are stricken. How we need to submit to God's providence. We don't know what God is doing. Naomi experienced the removal of all that she held dear. The psalmist expresses this when he says, and this is, this is a powerful prayer of the psalmist in Psalm 39. Remove your stroke from me. Speaking to God, remove your stroke from me. I am spent by the hostility of your hand. When you discipline a man with rebukes for sin, you consume like a moth what is dear to him. Naomi was a daughter of Abraham, and she was a woman of faith. She was bitter. But she was a woman of faith. She was stricken, but she knew the hand of the one who stroke her. And she, like Job, and she, like Jesus, wrestled with what it meant to feel the stroke of your heavenly Father. And though in great pain and bitterness, we must see Naomi as a woman of faith. Our inability to understand God's purposes may lead us to mistakenly interpret those purposes. Be wary of your own interpretations. Naomi's interpretation was that God's hand was against her. Well, in a certain sense, it was. It was against what she then knew to be her happiness, her husband, her son's. But God can destroy all that is dear so that he can give us a new world, so that he can bring us into a world 
that we cannot begin to fathom or conceive a world of blessing and joy. And this happens to everyone who comes to faith in Jesus Christ. He takes the old world, the old Adam, the old life, and he does away with it, and he brings you into union with Christ. But it happens even to those who are disciples of Christ farther on in the journey. We remember that Jesus also suffered. Why did he suffer? He suffered because he knew that there was a greater joy that lay ahead for him. He did it for you. And the joy of being and of having you with him. Amazing, amazing. If we turn to Ruth, we see that the Lord chose her from the Moabites to be his child. By grace, he touched her heart and gave her the gift of faith. May God give you the gift of faith. May God enable you to have the strength of this Moabite woman. Faith in God that is unmovable, unshakable, even in the midst of great trial and tribulation. God took Ruth out of her old world and brought her into his narrative, his story. Ruth would be the mother of Obed. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David. And David, the father of Christ Jesus, the son of God, who is descended from David according to the flesh. Oh, what a beautiful Beautiful ending to the story. But that's what we got to keep in mind as we go through our lives. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Is it possible to have hope, Ruth asks? Yes. Yes. Because we serve a God whose wisdom far is above yours and mine and has a plan for all who are in Christ that is a plan that we can't begin to fathom or conceive. And so uh, let us pray, and then we will sing together Psalm 130a. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the count in this first chapter, even of the grief of Naomi, and of her daughter-in-law, Ruth. Because we see that in all of this, you are working your marvelous plan of redemption. Father, we do pray that you would enable us to live as those who trust you through all the turnings of our lives. We ask all of this in Jesus' name.